Hi everyone, this is Princess Jenny, and before the start of today's episode, I am going to read to you a statement on behalf of both Mef and myself on the genocide in Gaza. Um, the statement will also be posted online with links for action and education. Um, and I really encourage everyone, regardless of whether you agree with what I'm about to say or you are enraged by what I'm about to say, to follow these links and watch all the videos because there is so much misinformation out there in the Western media. Um, and it is crucially important to hear from voices who might have information that you don't have that might make you realize things that you had not realized. Um, if you are hesitant to use the word genocide, for example, you have to hear from the people whose neighborhoods have been bombed to oblivion, who are living without food, water, or electricity. Um, before you jump to conclusions, you must hear from the people who are experiencing the genocide. So please watch the videos, follow the links, and here is our statement. As Jews and Americans, we cannot be silent on the genocide happening in Gaza. The propaganda and outright lies in our media and coming directly from the mouths of our world leaders is staggering, but unsurprising in service to the project of Western settler colonialism. Language from Israeli Prime Minister Netanyahu, like, we've drawn a line between the forces of civilization and the forces of barbarism, and this is a struggle between the children of light and the children of darkness, between humanity and the law of the jungle, while President Biden makes blatantly false statements about Hamas beheading babies and bombing their own hospital, are straightforward colonizer strategies to dehumanize the colonized, making the world audience feel comfortable with their genocide. When, in 1948, the Western Allies were making their plans to turn the diverse, British-controlled territory of Palestine into the Zionist state of Israel, British Prime Minister Winston Churchill was asked, what about all the Palestinian people who already live there? He replied, I do not agree that a dog lying in a manger has the final right to that manger, even though he may have lain there a very long time. Today, Israeli Prime Minister Netanyahu calls the Palestinian people human animals. This is the same white supremacist language used to justify the genocide of the Native Americans and enslavement of Black Africans in our own country. Meanwhile, the two million Palestinian citizens of Gaza, half of whom are children, have been living in a city-sized internment camp under military occupation for the last 75 years. Who are the forces of civilization? This moment cannot be viewed in isolation. In the last two weeks, Israel has dropped over 6,000 bombs on Gaza, a city roughly the size of Detroit, on residential neighborhoods, schools, houses of worship, and yes, hospitals. They have cut off electricity, food, and water, used the chemical weapon white phosphorus, which is a war crime, and threatened to bomb any humanitarian aid trucks sent in. With over 300 checkpoints across Gaza for Palestinians only, the civilian population cannot leave. As of today, October 24th, at least 5,791 Palestinians have been killed in the last two weeks, including 2,360 children. The use of collective punishment, treating the entire civilian population of Gaza as members of the group Hamas, is also a war crime. None of this would be possible without our U.S. tax dollars. From 1951 to 2022, 
Israel has received $92.7 billion in U.S. economic aid, virtually all of it going directly to the military. Because underneath all the carefully crafted rhetoric about human animals is the manufactured consent of Western interests. It serves the U.S. to have an unbreakable foothold in the Middle East. As President Biden has said about the U.S.'s ironclad support for Israel, if there were not an Israel, we'd have to invent one. This conflict is not about religion, and it never was. It's about land and power. Don't let anyone tell you that being critical of the state of Israel is an act of anti-Semitism. As Jews, most of us have been taught all our lives that we are the most hated, most marginalized minority in history, and can only move through the world as victims if we are not among our own. But that is simply a false narrative. Many peoples around the world have endured genocide. When Zionist settlers forced 750,000 Palestinians from their homes at gunpoint in 1948, they began another one, and it must end now. Hayadora stands with Jewish Voice for Peace in calling on Congress and President Biden to demand an immediate ceasefire and refrain from sending any more weapons to Israel. Hey folks, and welcome to Hey Adora, your queer she-er podcast. I'm Force Captain Meth, they them. And I'm Princess Jenny, she, her. And today we are discussing fractures. Ow. Ouch, it's a painful episode. Oof. Fractures was written by Catherine Nolfi, storyboards by Brendan Kloger. Kloher. Kloher. Let's do that again. Kloher. 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 There's I'm like meth. I'm it, gonna interrupt you. One of my mom's favorite movies is Young Frankenstein. It's one of those Frankenstein movies. So yeah, there's a character called Frau Blucher, and whenever they say her name, a horse whinnies in the background, like it's so ominous. So they start doing it on purpose just to get that weird thing to happen. So people just say Blucher. I it, I also love Young Frankenstein as well. Of course you do, um, Brenton. I'm very sorry. It's very embarrassing when people mess up your name. Yes, we apologize. Um, I have a name that gets messed up all the time, too, so I feel it. I do as well. Brendan, your name is either Brendan Clocher or Brendan Clocher. Jasmine Goggins, the regent of Catradora, Mickey Quinn, and Jessica Zamet. It was directed by Jen Bennett, and it is the 10th episode of the fourth season. Fourth season is fourth reeling season. up to the edge of a cliff. This is... I know I say this like... I've been saying this pretty much every episode this season, but this is also brutal. Yes, this is a brutal, brutal episode. Zero fun, 100% zero fun. There's a little fun. That's not true. Yes, there is a tiny bit of fun. It's like not no fun. Yes, it's mostly in the triad of Scorpia, Perfuma, and Frosta where our fun will lie. Yes, and of course, I mean, you know, we have. we have our fun with Swiftwind. Yes. Swiftwind's always. Yes, but we mostly, love our Swifty. Yes, Swifty is always fun. But mostly we are coming to the top of a cliff where we will have our big season denouement coming soon. Oof, it's a rough, it's rough episode. It is a rough, rough episode. Um, yeah, let's get into it so we can have all of the feels, shall yes. we? So before we dive into the first scene, I just have a general note about the title. I mean, it's probably pretty obvious and doesn't need to be said, but mm-hmm. sometimes the things that are obvious are the things that most need to be verbalized. 
Yes, I, I, I'm glad that you're bringing that up because there are a couple of moments in this where I go, oh, fractures. Right, like so, it's so please. a triple entendre, <laughs> this title, Ooh. because we have the fracturing of the planet into little itty bitty pieces if the weapon goes off, which That's we true. see holographically rendered. We, have we do, over and over again. Over and over again. We have the fracturing of the Princess Alliance. Mm-hmm. And we have the fracturing of Catra's control and sanity yes all three of those things are fracturing love it love it yes and they're all I'm sort of happening in parallel storylines simultaneously Frac- fractals yes. not fractals not fractals that would be fun not- too that would be fun but my brain is- can't handle fractals I kind of love how much fractals twist up my brain I was not good at calculus but I enjoyed looking at the fractals yeah yes let's go to bright moon Oh, bright moon. Oh, bright moon. We have our torture chamber, our magical torture chamber here. Because, I mean, okay, like, truth spells are kind of messed up. So before we even get into what is happening in this room, um, I just want to point out that visually, the first scene of this episode opens on a close-up of Glimmer's very determined face. Mm Mm-hmm. So you know right away from the very first frame that this is going to be a Glimmer-heavy episode. Yes. So first we see Glimmer. She's determined. Mm -hmm. She's doing something determinedly. Determinedly. She has the, she has the face of determinism. Glimmer in this episode has Willow energy. Yes, she does. Throughout the whole thing. Like big Willow energy. Yes. Like Willow season six kind of energy. Not a hundred percent. I'm not. Not a hundred percent. Yeah. She is abusing dark magic because that is not what's happening but there's no, but a she... similar you know i'm gonna take this as far as i have to mm-hmm. kind yeah, of the, vibe the the like before i go evil but very much the like the 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 power like the relationship with power and like the like the good part of it like having the having the confidence in her power but also the willingness just like willow does have in season six as yes. well yeah yes and also just the part where she gets really angry and and that's where her 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 actual power comes from but we're going to talk about that yes. later yes so anyway glimmer is very focused because she is trying to cast a spell or you know draw a sigil in the air and shadow mm-hmm. weaver is standing beside her calmly coaching her yeah Yep. You know, maintain the connection. Uh, That's such a call. Like, I'm using the light hope voice. But on the same hand, like, there is that sort of like, you know, there is a parallel between Shadow Weaver and Light Hope. They are that kind of like calm, manipulative um, teacher coach. Yes. Yeah. Yes. You're absolutely right. So, Um, you know, I I agree with that. Um, So, we don't know at first, like, to what end is this spell? being cast yes then from off screen we hear a delightfully antagonizing voice does this usually take so long i never require this much rehearsal maybe sorcery just isn't your calling and and of course shadow weaver is like do not allow them to distract you which i just want to point out once again fucking etheria where even the villains don't misgender people I have the exact same note. What the fuck? Yep. 
thank you. I mean, Shadow Weaver, you're evil, but you have one point. Yes. One point in the plus. Amen. So. Even the most evil person in Etheria is not evil enough to misgender someone. Yep. We love to see it. This planet is so queer. Yes. So Double Trouble does succeed in throwing Glimmer off her focus, but then Glimmer regains her focus, throws that sigil, which flies across the room, goes through Double Trouble, who reacts so dramatically. And Glimmer is psyched at first. Uh Tell me everything you know about the Horde's plans. Ugh. And Double Trouble just can't resist any longer. The truth is that outfit just really isn't working for you. And oh, the magic isn't either. Yes. And how dare you, Double Trouble, suggest that that outfit is not working for Glimmer? It works. It looks great on her. That the colors great look great outfit. on her. The shape looks great. Ugh. It Acting all comes queens. together very well. Ugh. First gayest moment. I'll go for this that. This is my first gayest moment. Yes. Unnecessary shade. Yes. 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 First gayest moment. Yes. Also, Double Trouble is having so much fun. It's like they don't even care that they're a So much fun. What a shady queen. Yes. Oh. Yes. Yes. But then Glimmer doesn't even have time to get fully pissed because a guard runs in and tells them all that Adora is back and has called a meeting of the Princess Alliance. Wait, Adora's allowed to do that? So Glimmer's initial reaction before Double Trouble jumps in seems positive. Yes, because Adora's back. She's like, oh, good. You know, my friend is back. Then Double Trouble says, as you just said, Adora called a meeting. Can she Mm. do that? Thought you were the queen. Mm. And then Mm -mm. immediately Double Trouble transforms into Adora with a comedically oversized hair poof. And this is my... Uh, first, Professor Smartbrain moment. Oh. Uh-huh. Well, first of all, the gayest moment number two is the homosexual pompadour. <laughs> Perfect. Because pompadours are really gay. Yes, they and are. And then this is my Smartbrain moment about the pompadour. Oh, all right. Let's get into it. Some gay hair history. I love me a pompadour. So... A pompadour is a type of hairstyle that typically has large volume of hair swept upwards from the face and worn high on the forehead. I'm doing like a thing, as Jenny may be able to see. Yes, Uh, dear listeners, Mef is demonstrating where on the head the pompadour rests and which direction it swoops in. Swoops back, sometimes upswept around the sides and the back as well. So that is the definition of a pompadour. That's actually really. I think of a single heterosexual person I have ever seen wear that hairdo. Well, I mean, I'm sure we'll get there. Sure, we'll get there. Sure, we'll get we'll get to we'll get there. Um, it's actually a really wide, large definition of a pompadour. So big, awesome hair that was achieved by combing the hair back and like just you know back and up. It originated in the royal courts of France in the 1680s, but it wasn't called a pompadour. It was called a fontange. Fontange after King Louis the Fourteenth's. That's right, the Sun King and Mister Versailles himself. He was named after his mistress. Oh, um, yeah. He loved the way her hair looked when she took off her hat, her riding hat, after riding horses. And so, she, <laughs> oh my, because it was all big. He liked he was the like, hat hair. He liked the hat hair because it was all big. So he's like, I love your hair like that. Keep it. And then it became popular to style your hair like that. Oh, my goodness. 
Yeah. So, but that was like when it was kind of big. But by the time it got to its namesake, who is the Madame de Pompadour, who is the mistress of King Louis the Fifteenth, it was a little more subdued. It was kind of like flatter and just kind of the brushed back off the face. Wow. There was so a not Madame as like de Pompadour. There was a Madame de Pompadour. That yes is amazing. So the style has gone through different variants over the years and presents differently through different gender presentations and different generations. Yes. So a famous kind of longer hair version at the 20th turn of the 20th century was the Gibson girl look. Yes. Which, if you're you know, unfamiliar with the Gibson girl, is a totally other Professor Smartbrain moment and about a really, really famous hairstyle, but it also is, you know, it symbolizes the birth of mass market fashion and advertising. So it's not Debbie Gibson. It's not Debbie Gibson, who's a 1980s uh, pop star. Um, look up the Gibson girl. It's really fascinating kind of story about mass market fashion and hairstyle and whatnot. We're going to jump forward to the 1940s, though, because during the 40s, there were f- some friggin' awesome lady pompadours. Um, want people to look up. I know there's a lot of your own research on this, but seriously, you're going to love this. So look up Betty Davis because she's got this great lady pompadour, like long hair, kind of femme pompadour. But really, I want you to look up Catherine Hepburn. Yes. So Catherine, he- just look up a picture of this. Just just go to Google, open your Googles right now and look up a picture of Catherine Hepburn in the film Sylvia Scarlet. And this film is a 1935 film where Katherine Hepburn plays a con artist who lives, who dresses and lives as a man. <gasps> what? And she is so incredibly hot in this movie. So hot and has a fantastic pompadour. And you're welcome. Oh, my good God. So hot. Yes. I mean, Katherine Hepburn's already gorgeous and super gay Obviously, anyway. But she's wearing a suit. She's wearing a suit. Katherine Hepburn in a suit is up there with Katherine in a suit. Yes. Yeah. And like Ingrid Bergman and shit. And Ingrid Bergman and Marlena Dietrich. Oh and my God. Annie Lennox. Everyone and you need to, if you're not already looking at this shit, you need to be looking at this shit. You need to be looking oh. at this shit. Oh my God. Praise iconic queer Jesus. Yeah, yeah. It's oh, the incredible. Hat. The, the hat. hat! The hat! I shouldn't shout I would... that loud on, on audio, but I hope Who it's can... okay. This is pure gay screaming. This is queer joy. Yes, it is. And Catherine Hepburn is already a dyke icon. Obviously. And she's the best, and you just... Look at the I've never seen this film. I have seen I have seen pictures of this, of this floating around on the internet. Um Sometimes the pictures are all you need. Yeah. Uh I sent a picture of this to my girlfriend and I just got the response of uh Yes. I'm like this is the correct response. Yes. So yes. Look up pictures of Katherine Hepburn in the 1935 romantic comedy, Sylvia Scarlet. It's a really gay hairstyle. You probably have a friend or a family member, queer fam, or a favorite podcast host. That's right, folks. I have a pompadour. Ah, That's right. I've had a quiff pompadour for a while. It's kind of like my thing. My hair does it. I think it looks swell. I'm that kind of gay. It's fabulous. 
Um, and little pompadour, little tip. If you're also scent sensitive like I am, there is a unscented natural sculpting clay that you can use to get your pompadour all nice and high. Oh. Uh, and it works wonderfully. And if you want to know what it is, you can send a message to heyadoracast at gmail.com. I'll send you a link. Oh, what a nice teaser you've laid there. I know. Um, and just, I think we can all be on board that Adora's hair here absolutely counts as a pompadour. And I would argue that her normal hair poof is a pompadour. Yeah. I yeah. think that tracks. Yeah. And so that is my Professor Smart Brain moment on one of the gayest hairstyles of all time, the pompadour. Wow. That was amazing. And possibly the most unexpected Professor Smart Brain moment yet. For me, Thank at least. you. Thank you. I fucking love that shit. Thank you. I fucking love pompadours. And also, Catherine Hepburn in a suit. Amen to all of that. I fucking love a. you, my dude, and your pompadour. Uh, thank you. I love you and your side shave. Ah, uh, we're Aww. so gay. We're so gay. Uh, so that was the end of everything you had to say about pompadours, yes? <laughs> That is the end of everything I have to say about pompadours. Okay, so I had one final thing to say about that scene before we move on. Um, Because this is the end of that scene, and then we go to the credits. Um, But so, Double Trouble, you know, sort of needling Glimmer by saying, Oh, does Adora have the power to call a meeting? Brings up a question that sort of stays with me throughout this episode. And so I just want to put it into your mind so that we can consider it throughout the episode is... Is Glimmer supposed to be in charge of the entire Princess Alliance? Like, does she have authority over all the other princesses? Or are they all equally in power? And like, are they supposed to vote and they each have the same amount of power? Because if they all have the same amount of power, because later they're voting on whether or not to use the Heart of Ethereum magic, and it seems like they all have an equal voice, then... Any one of them should be allowed to call a meeting if they have important information to share. Glimmer shouldn't be the only one who's allowed to call a meeting. And yeah, so this question I... comes up throughout the episode in different ways, sort of niggling that Glimmer should be the only one with authority. It's like, okay, but we've had lots of other instances throughout the show that suggest that all the princesses should be on equal footing and Adora is one of the princesses. So it's mm-hmm. kind of confusing to me and I'm, I I don't have an answer so I just kind of want to put that question into your mind and then we're going to come back to it at certain points through the episode yeah I think that's a really excellent question to ask because I also had that question and I feel like talking that out would work because I still feel like it's ambiguous yeah yeah, yeah it's very ambiguous cool I'm glad we both agree that it's ambiguous <laughs> we both agree that we don't know yes Hooray! <laughs> <laughs> right. Hooray. So I think we're at credits, credits, huh? We are. We're at credits. We're at credits. We're at credits again. We have questions about winning, perhaps in the end. Yes, we're not going to we... win in the end if the planet explodes. We all no, agree we about won't. that. What we... I feel like, I feel like, yeah, that's a really good, like, if the planet is done, then we don't win in the end. Yes, if everyone's dead, then nobody wins. Nobody wins. What we don't no. all agree about is what's the best way to avoid having the planet explode. Yeah, how are we going to win in the end? Yes, that is the question that this episode is really, really struggling to answer. (laughs) Really struggling to answer. So we're at the point right now where we just have to try and stay in the moment and figure it out one step at a time. One step at a time. So we're going to head back to Bright Moon and try to figure this out. Back to the war room we go. Back to the war room we go. 
And we have Explodies. Do you want to describe the scene? Yes, it's this very basic digital line drawing of the planet exploding and then coming back together and then exploding and then coming back together. It's very <laughs> grim. It's very grim. And so these exploded pieces are just kind of floating around their heads the whole time that they're having the discussion, which adds to the grimness. And so while this is all happening in the background, they're having this discussion and Perfume is like, that's really going to happen to the planet and like all of us. And Bo confirms, yes, but with even more explosion. <laughs> yes, but worse. Yes, but worse. Like, you know, he sort of recaps what they, what he and Adora saw in the last episode. It almost killed everyone in Mara's time, and it's been getting more volatile for the last thousand years. So yes, if it goes off again, it's planet soup for everybody. <laughs> Hooray! Oh, no, wait. Yes. I just heard the soup part. Yes, not your delicious soup, Meth. No, not my soup. Just plant. That's planet soup is bad. Yummy soup is good. Yes, planet soup is bad. Planet soup is bad. And so Frosta then jumps in and asks how they can stop it, just how? as Glimmer and Shadow Weaver enter. Mm-hmm. And then Shadow Weaver redirects the conversation. And how does she do that? <laughs> Shadow Weaver is like, stop it. The real question is, how do we tend to use it to our advantage? Yes. And there we go with the power again. Power, power, pa- power. Power, power, power. Yes. Exactly. Yes. And so, and... of course, Adora shuts Shadow Weaver down hard. Mm-hmm. Or at least she tries to. She tries to, and... and... Shadow Weaver's like, you know, she's like, uh, no, did planet soup? No, we're disabling this. And then Shadow Weaver says, and throw away such power. Perhaps the first ones were fools for storing so much raw energy at the heart of the planet. But now that it's there. Okay, so, so this whole question, uh, uh, they're, we, they're drawing energy from the planet, right? They're not like storing the energy there or are they like taking it from all of the planet and then putting it in this thing? They who? The first ones. is like, is that how they did it? That they just like take energy from all the other parts of the planet and then be like, and then let's t- take it and put it in this like containment or is it like... Well, I mean, they never... Did they super explicitly, but I think what's implied is that they've been siphoning energy from all of the rune stones, thereby weakening slightly. We don't know exactly how much each of the princesses, because the princesses draw their power from the rune stones. Okay, that actually clears it up for me because I was a little confused. I'm like, so because I thought it was like all of this power exists at like, you know, it's like the core of the earth and it's just taking it from there. But that makes way more sense. And I, yeah, it's like I, this might have been power, a thing that I just like, yeah, yeah. I mean, this is how I've conceptualized it. And maybe other people have conceptualized it differently. And we'll see. What do you think? Entire world. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, the way that I saw it is that each of these rune stones has a natural magical power that lasts forever. Um, right. And each of the princesses who's connected to that rune stone uses that power according to their own wisdom to help maintain the planet and take care of the people and keep everything in magical happy balance. But right. the first ones have been siphoning off some portion of that power 
and sucking it into the heart of a planet. So like a little bit from Plumeria, a little bit from Selenius, a little bit from Bright Moon, and they just put it all together into a big ball of power. And that's being stored in the heart of the planet. And it's gotten more and more and more concentrated over the course of the last thousand years. And so now it's like exponentially bigger than it was when it almost tore the planet apart in Mars time a thousand years ago. It's just all of that mixed power from all of the runestones together around the planet. Okay, that makes sense. And you know what? That's probably that's probably at least implicitly or explicitly said somewhere. I just always just pay attention to are the girls going to kiss? I mean, that's legitimate. <laughs> I'm just like, ooh, girls kissing. So, you yeah, know, I'm, you know, the I'm way, simple. I'm a simple creature. Uh, yeah, the, Catherine Hepburn in a suit. I, I, I can't fault you for that. Um, yeah. The way that it's shown visually later when Entrapta makes her model and it shows all the different runestones and what happens, or maybe that already mm-hmm. happened with the model. I, I have a trouble with linear time. Me and Stu. <laughs> Either we already saw the model or it's coming next season. There was like a little light bulb for each of the runestones. And so that's where all the power comes from is each of those runestones. Right, right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We did see the model. We did see a runestone model in the Battle of Bright Moon. And then we do get more runestone goodness. Cool. Uh, like in the next few episodes, we do learn more about the heart and the runestones yes, and what they yes, all mean. Yes. So Cool. So Shadow Weaver has introduced this idea that maybe it wasn't so smart what the first ones did to store all this power. But now that it's there, we might as well try to figure out how to take it back and use it for ourselves. And Glimmer is into this. And she says, what if there was a way to channel that magic ourselves? Which like, sure. But also, as we talked about in our last episode, no no nukes yeah she she, you know she wasn't there you know she didn't see what adora and Bo saw in the last episode no i know but i'm also talking about what we talked about in our last episode no nukes yes no nukes (laughs) obviously this is very nukes yes no nukes yes yes um and so glimmer and adora immediately get into a major argument over whether it's more dangerous to use the weapon or not use the weapon Right. Um, And so I just want to read the next two lines that Adora and Glimmer both say, because I think they're very straightforward and important for both of the characters. Yes, please. Adora says, are you seriously considering this? You heard Bo. It's an unstable super weapon. Tampering with it is way too dangerous. And do you want to say Glimmer's line? Yeah, Glimmer says, dangerous? Every day the Horde claims more territory. We're running out of options. So I say we get Light Hope to tell us how it works and take our power back. And then before we start breaking it down, I want to just get through the rest of the scene. Um, Glimmer brings up a 3D map of all of the kingdoms and little Horde avatars pop up all over the place to show how Mm -hmm. much ground the Horde is gaining. Yep. And it's scary. And everyone else around the table looks super freaked out. Yeah, I mean, it is fucking scary, yeah, right? Like, yeah. it's like watching Nazis take over everything. Yeah, exactly. It's like being Which stuck- is scary and bad. It's like, imagine that you're in the middle of fighting an, a worldwide Nazi takeover, and then there's, like, another new super enemy introduced into the mix. Yeah. And you're like, yeah. uh, should we ally ourselves with this enemy to try to defeat the Nazis? Would that be better? Would that be worse? 
Can right, we, exactly. Do we have the bandwidth to fight two super enemies simultaneously? Like, it's a whole big f- new thing to be introducing at the 11th hour. Yeah, and it's, it is not like a, it's not cut and dry, it's right? Not like, at all. It, it's, it is nuanced. Right. And so Adora, in response to this, is, you know, just says angrily that all she wants is to set the weapon off. Are you even listening to us? Mm-hmm. And, you know, they're eh. both really mad at each other. And that's when Bo literally jumps in as in puts mm-hmm. his body between them yeah and says when, in like fake cheerful voice that now would be a great time for a five minute break which is not the worst idea yeah absolutely i mean you take your you, you take your physical space cool off yeah cool, like cool off if you can't cool the fuck off if you know you can't speak calmly that's yeah, a good time cool to off. take a break Yep, absolutely. And so that's the end of the scene. And so now I have a little bullet. That's the end of the scene. Let's talk about it, question mark. Sure, let's talk about it, question mark. Um, because I think this is a really important time to tr- to make an effort to see things from Glimmer's point of view, because I think it's really easy to just see her as an obstinate asshole. I agree. Yes. Um, and not, remember, not that she's an obstinate asshole, but too, yes. It's too easy to write her off. It is because we have seen the other, we saw the other side of this in the right. last episode. Right. We saw everything in the last episode from Adora and Bo's point of view. So it's easy to right. see things from their point of view because we literally <laughs> just saw it from their point of view. Right. We know the danger, but we also like need to recognize where Glimmer is coming from and where and Glimmer also, is coming from. Like, oh, go ahead. Yes. And also, like, we're watching the Adora show. Like, it is Adora's TV show. Right, but yeah, featuring lives, Adora as herself. In right. their lives, but, it's not the Adora show. Each person no. is having their own experience of their own... Everyone is the main character of their own life. Yes. Glimmer did not agree to be a side character in someone else's show. She is the queen, you know, as she reminds everyone so much in this episode. You know, she does. It, you know... In in their in each person's point of view, no one is a side character. No one is a main character. They are all experiencing this unequal footing. Right. So my bullets here about you know seeing things from Glimmer's point of view. I really want to remind us all, including myself, that Glimmer, like everyone, has been fighting this war basically her whole life, and she's been in a position of responsibility for her whole life. Like she was always the queen's kid. And now she is the queen and she's always been trying to do right for all the people whose safety she's responsible for. And we know that that is something that she has always taken very seriously. Yes. Like that's always been from the first episode, something that we've seen. Yep. And so she just, she just found out that some significant measure of her own power has literally been stolen from her by colonizers, even after they've been gone for a thousand years and it's just sitting there. Oh, yeah. Now that you explained how you think the, like, like uh, it's heart like of Etheria form- works, yeah. yes, that makes sense now. Yeah, it's okay. like she just found that out I that get. she's been magically raped in a way without even knowing it. Damn. And as they're fighting for their lives against their current colonizers, she found out that her power has been stolen by the ghost colonizers that aren't even here anymore. And that power is just sitting there up for grabs. Right. And, you know, she wants to at least consider the possibility of can we think about figuring out a way to safely take our own power back? Like, it's not some abstract power. It's not the first ones didn't make it in a lab. 
Right. Like that's yeah. mine. Yeah, that's true. That's true. On from my planet. Yes. It came like it's mine, my friends, it's my ancestors. Mm. You know? Jenny, this is tasty. I love this. Yeah, I'm I'm glad. <laughs> yeah, no, um, I love this. I I mean, I I agreed. Yeah, and that's a position you, but that you're Adora, giving me like a yeah, lot of sandwich I don't about think that's this. That's a position that Adora can understand and maybe no. she might I think that she would if they could sit down calmly and talk about it. I think Adora if Glimmer could verbalize it, I think Adora could be like, "All right, I could understand that." But they're both in too volatile of a space to be able to have a calm conversation like that. But I can understand yeah. that would be a profound feeling that Glimmer could be having and might be too raw to be able to consciously verbalize it. Absolutely. Like she could even see it as a birthright. Yes. Um, And my final point is just a sort of a reminder as much for myself as for everyone else that I have said this from the beginning. I truly believe that Glimmer's only motivation is to save everyone. It's not about glory or credit or even wanting more credit than Adora specifically. She just wants to save everyone and she thinks that this is the best way. And she might be wrong, but it's a question about math and science and other kinds of technical evaluations. It's not a question of motivation or intention. It's not like she's switched sides and decided that she would rather be on the Horde side or she would rather team up with Light Hope and be Light Hope's new best friend. Like. Her allegiance hasn't changed. She just thinks that this is the best way to save everyone. Yes, and I agree with that. But I would just want to drop in that she is a creature of ego and is obstinate about her idea and her her ideas being the best one. Like She is obstinate, but I'm just not sure how much of that is ego i feel like that's what everyone always says i don't think ego is a bad thing though it's more from a sense of responsibility than i'm from thinking that like my ideas are automatically the best because they're my ideas but that doesn't they don't have to be first of all they don't have to be mutually exclusive and and another is that ego isn't necessarily a bad thing like hmm. it's not a ba- it's not necessarily a bad thing. You can't come from a place of ego in like knowing that this your idea that you have come is built into this responsibility. You're like, I know that this idea is the best, and this is be- and and you know it comes from my knowledge that I have to say you know I have to yeah, save these maybe. people. Like yeah, yeah. like I don't think it's a bad thing. Like yeah, you know it yeah. just that is her drive. She yeah. you know like it doesn't your drive to save does not have to be selfless. Yeah, that's fair. So I think that's what I mean by ego, is that it does not have to be selfless. It doesn't mean that she's going to go out there and be like, fuck yeah, I saved everybody's ass, woo! Like, it doesn't have to come from a right, place of... Right, That's what I'm saying. I don't see her as yeah. that. No, but it does not have to come from a selfless place either. It comes from a place of, I am a queen, and it is my job to save. Yes, that's what I'm saying. <clears throat> right. But not, you know, I don't have to sacrifice like yes. Adora's is. Yes, yes, yes. They are different, but not so different. Right. Yeah, I think a lot of times the worst conflicts come from when people don't realize how similar their positions are. They're just a little bit different. That's often much more brutal conflict than when positions are radically different, especially when they're in intimate relationships. 
Yeah, or like when you and I have a disagreement on Hey Adora, and it's usually because of a teeny tiny little difference in wording. Yes. It happens yes. all the time. Yeah, well, I don't know if it happens all the time. See? <laughs> <laughs> that, 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 was, that was bizarrely perfect. <laughs> Touche, my friend. Touche. Touche. That was juicy. Thank you. Um, do you have anything else that you want to add about this interaction before we move on to the Fright Zone? No, just that poor Peacemaker bow, buddy. <sighs> I know. That's it. Just poor Peacemaker bow. Sometimes you, like, I'm glad that you were like, everybody cool off, but like, yeah, you can't take everything on. No, no. This is a, this is a really rough season for Bo, and he's going to take a while next season to recover from it. He is. Yeah. And he's entitled to that. Oh, he is. He's definitely entitled to it. All right, Katra. Sweet baby Katra. She's a fucking wreck. So Katra is in what I am calling a control room. Yeah. In front yeah, of she's... this bank of surveillance screens. Mm-hmm. And she's yeah. just monitoring, like, what's going on in all these towns that they have conquered. She's watching Horde soldiers hanging Horde flags. Some yep. that are sitting around because either there's nothing left to do or they're also exhausted. Yep. And then we see her get super excited when she sees a shadow that kind of looks like Scorpia. Oh, before we jump there, I want to mention my favorite one, which is oh. the troop le- leaning against the wall uh, that keeps nodding off and is like leaning and then banging his head against the wall in the back, trying not to fall asleep. That one's my favorite because it's so real. Yes. And and Yeah. And she doesn't look good. I mean, like... Yeah, she already doesn't look great, but she's going to look so much worse. She's going to look so much worse, but, like, she's not looking super hot. Like, she's got some... She's got some... She's got some dark circles. Not the darkest, but she... she you see somewhere... I didn't really notice it yet. There's some. It's not as drastic as the, like... As we see Catra throughout the episode, her eyes get worse. Yes. But we do see a little bit of desperation and we do see the physical yes. like wear on her eyes starting starting okay. here. Yeah. Um, but yeah. basically and, she's looking for Scorpia. Um, yeah. It's not yep. made exp- like it becomes more and more clear throughout the episode. Yes. Um, she's unraveling because Scorpia having left was like the last straw that unraveled her. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. And yeah. And then we and then as Jenny mentioned, we see her stop on a a screen where it looks like Scorpia is leaning there's a Scorpia shaped branch that is leaning against a tree in all butch leaning Scorpia stance. But she zooms in and it's not Scorpia. Right. It's just a weird bunch of plants. A weird bunch of butch leaning plants. Yes. Yep. And that, of course, her moment of disappointment is the perfect moment for our powerhouse polycule buddies to show up. They look rough. They look rough. They look really rough. You can tell that they have been working very hard. Yeah, and Kyle does Kyle does not have his helmet off, but they're they I mean their outfits are like banged up, right? Yeah. Like their armor's all messed up and yeah, and so of course Catra appreciates them and welcomes them home, right? <laughs> yeah, of course she does, definitely, in her own very Catra way, which is she flips out on them. Yes. Um, Lonnie reports that the Eastern Quadrant is secured and there's no rebel activity. 
and Catra very subtly asks if they saw anyone, uh, anything else while they were uh-huh. out there. Yep. Yeah. Any, any, did you see any one thing? What? And Lonnie was just like, just tired soldiers. Yeah. Very loaded. Yes. And, and Catra says, well, you better get back out there. And Lonnie is like, uh, yeah, no. I mean, they worked a double, which I'm assuming working a double as a soldier is like not sleeping for 24 or 36 hours. Yeah. Um, and, and you know, and they, you know. It's not like a soldier shift is probably eight hours. I don't know. Right. Yeah. But it's probably I, long. <laughs> it says we've been going with R&R for days now, which is rest and relaxation. Yes. So we and need sleep. I'm words- sure they've caught like, they've caught like little naps, but not like a proper like shit shave and shower. And, yeah, you know. I mean, they're like doctors. Doctors have ridiculously yeah. long shifts. Yep. Um, in the words of Buffy Summers, even though the exact hours don't match up, another eight hours after this eight hours? But that's so many hours. That's so many hours. Yeah. Yes. And so Katra has no compassion for her team because she has no compassion for herself. Yeah. It's not like Katra sleeps, so why should anybody else exactly. sleep? Which is not which is not how you do you manage teams, Katra. Yeah. Bad management. I mean, you know, she, I understand where this is coming from. Like people who have trouble being compassionate to others, often it starts with yourself. Oh, sure. Um, I'm not saying it's okay. I'm just saying I get it. Yeah, Um, sure. She basically tells them we'll sleep when we're dead. Yeah. (laughs) And And Lonnie gives her the nastiest look. Ooh. Ooh, it is brutal. It is... It is. But Lonnie does not talk back because Lonnie is smart enough to know that now is not the time to get into it. Yeah. Lonnie just gives her a nasty look and just turns around. Yep. And they, okay. bounce, they bounce back out. They bounce back out. And I like that they don't make Rogelio wear a helmet. Yeah. Like he's not holding a helmet. He, no, they, they, they just don't have any helmets that fit his head. Yeah. They're just like, you know what? Let's, this guy doesn't need a helmet. No. His hair is too good. Amen to that. Anyway, Polykill goes back out into the war, and we go yep. back to Bright Moon. And we go back to Bright Moon, and Mermista. Well, is before just... we get to Mermista, I just have to set the scene because they're all still just watching this holographic simulation of the giant yes. death weapon exploding yes. and imploding and exploding yep. and imploding. And Frosta is falling asleep at the table. And so this is just all happening in silence for a few beats. And who knows how long they've been just standing around like this in silence in basically a stalemate. And well, Mermista's turning the knob. Oh, right. Uh, that's why I was like, damn, Mermista, because she keeps turning the knob of like, explodey, implodey, explodey, oh, implodey. Right. That's right. So you're, you're that's correct. why I was like, damn, Mermista, that's that's. That's dark, but I mean, like, I get it, right? right like, right, right. It's like, it's like, you can't figure out what else to do. We're just gonna keep looking at it. Yeah, exactly. Um, and Bo puts his hand over Glimmers, which is in a clenched fist, mm-hmm. as he says, "I know we've lost a lot, but." And then Glimmer and... interrupts him. She's really on edge. She says, "Yeah, lost a lot." Elberon, Thamor, Alwyn, Selenius. We've lost almost everything. This magic is the only thing that can help us save everyone. They did, they did lose a lot. Damn. Yeah. And 
Perfuma, this is, we get a little bit of humor at this part, right? Where Perfuma yes. like conjures herself um, like a flower and does the, the she loves me, she loves me not, but does it yes. with a flower about use the magical scary energy, don't use the magical scary energy. It is like trying to get the universe to answer the question for yes, her. Yes, which we know this is Perfuma sort of sliding back into her, you know, when she doesn't know what to do, sort of let the universe decide. Right. This is how she was when we first met her. Yeah. So Perfuma's doing the, you know, she loves me, she loves me not, but she's doing it with the scary magical energy. Don't use scary magical energy because that's just how she does things. Yes, right? because like, when we first met her, we have seen that under stress, she's bad at making decisions and she prefers to let the universe have its way and just decide for her. Sure. And I mean, that like that makes sense when you like kind of hit your low spoons, your like your like lowest point, your point where you can't, you know, use all of your cope. You go back to the things that you understand. Yes. You're- and of course. Of course. And, you know, this is, per- you know, she's a pacifist. Yep. Um, and we know that this is her most comfortable, most deeply ingrained mode of being before she found her power and her confidence. Yep. Yeah, exactly. And so, she's feeling very unsure right now. She's feel, and I mean, she. As I would too. I mean, like, yes. yeah, we yes. we had an entire like discussion of we don't know. Even we, dear listeners, don't know if we're gonna win in the end. How would these wonderful characters know? Yes, exactly. We do know exactly. But, so yeah. while everyone is hemming and hawing, and yep. struggling with this decision, Frosta again falls asleep at the table. And she wakes up dramatically when she hits her head from falling asleep on the table. And then very casually suggests that maybe they should pick this up in the morning. Not that she's up past her bedtime. Not that she even has a bedtime. Yeah, I mean, she can go to bed whatever she wants because, like, she's totally a grown-up. Of course. I thought was really cute. Really cute. Because I love, love, like, little kids can be like, whatever, I could stay up as late as I want. (laughs) I know. It's like, as soon as you're a real adult, you can't wait to fucking go to bed. (laughs) Exactly. I'm like, oh, my God, I get to go to bed? I'm like, I'm stoked. I'm like. love going to bed. (laughs) Yeah, it's great. It's great. I love going to fucking bed. That's how you know you're an adult when you can't wait to go to bed. Yup. Anyway, so this is a catalyst moment. um, Frosta fully falling asleep at the table. Love it. Mermista jumps in and says that she is ready to decide right now. She is with Glimmer. And again, notice it is the person who has lost everything. Which once again, makes sense. Makes sense. Glimmer does not mention. Yeah. Glimmer does not mention Plumeria. And the we've lost everything. Plumeria yeah. is not mentioned. Because Plumeria has not been sacked yet. Plumeria has not fallen. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And nor, nor has the Kingdom of Snows. So yeah, of course. Right, of course. M- it makes sense that Mermista is willing to do whatever it takes. And she is yep. on board to use the scary magic. Right. <laughs> and mentions it as the scary magic. Yeah. Which I think is actually pretty funny. I like that they're all referring to it as the scary magic. Like they they understand that this is like bad news bears, but they're still it's it's such a high stakes situation. It's like there's almost an equal amount of risk either way. Sure, sure. But they're still they're all still like, you know what? Yeah, 
you know. Yeah, it's like if you have, you know, terminal cancer and there's this super risky procedure that might save you or kill you. Right. It's like, well, you might die. But if you sure. don't get the surgery, you're definitely going to die. Sure. But I mean, this is that is also like the self versus like your entire planet. Yes, like, yes. you know, I'm just trying so, to find an analogy of like, yeah. it's, it's a high, it's a super high stakes situation. Either way, there is no safe option. No, there's no safe option. Yes. Um, and that's well, at least at least we don't think there's a safe option. As far as we know, as far as we know, there's no safe there's option. No safe option. There's no obviously safe option. Yeah. Um, and that's when suddenly Swiftwind is here and wants to know why he still doesn't have a chair, even though the new person does. That totally makes sense. Why doesn't Swiftwind have a chair, even though the new? Wait, what? That's when we pivot to Scorpia. Hi, yeah, and buddy. She's just sitting on Emily. Yeah. Wait, what? <laughs> and it really takes a minute for everyone to absorb this new information. At yeah. First, Adora's just like, Swiftwind, is this really the time to bring up your chair thing again? Yeah, <laughs> and, and, and Scorpius just like, oh, hey, uh, yeah, gosh, I'm sorry. Sorry I popped in here unannounced. They didn't want to interrupt. <laughs> You just all seemed really busy, so I snuck in past the guards, and I was just, I'm really exaggerating this accent here. But you're doing Uh, great. But, you know, I was just waiting for you guys to notice, and and she was just like, oh, God, you know, this is not gym teacher Scorpia, right? This is like... This is, this is like this is like height midwestern politeness. Scorpio. Yeah, exactly. And it's just like, <laughs> and what, what the fuck? How did you get in here, Scorpio? She just like just walked in, and it's just like, oh hey, how you doing? Yeah, and like security is not great right now. Not great right now. And of course, everyone is just like, what the fuck? And yeah. I love how Adora just transforms immediately so it's like put her on the grace call like yeah. doesn't even like just like yeah. blah, 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 blah. doesn't even frosta like frosta screams heart soldier like they're all wound so tight right now yeah obviously yeah. they're itching for something to punch totally i mean you know they want the punchies yeah, they want the punchies like, whoa hold on i don't want to fight you like she is as clear as she can possibly be that she's not here to fight right and you know, and perfume. She's got a bot. I love. Yeah, I love perfume and yelling. She's yep. got a bot. Yeah, and they're both in defensive mode. Like Emily is defensively going with the pew pews, but like it's very much like no, don't hit me. Right? They're all yes, backing up. Yes, yes, and Scorpia is doing the same thing that Adora was doing way back in the beginning of season one when yeah. she was spotted in bright moon and someone yelled right. soldier and she was like oh no wait i'm not here to fight you right and right, she was right. defending herself without attacking right. but you know she had to defend herself but she had to defend herself yeah. right so um, and yeah. then there's a fun callback here when frosta attacks scorpia she yells this is for ruining princess prom and you know what i don't blame her of I'd be course. like, you ruined my fucking party. Yeah, that was her first time hosting the yeah. big once a decade party. Sure. And Mormista was like, you know, for Seledius, which of course. stakes are high. Of course. But Frosta, you know, Frosta's like, Frosta's stake in this was you ruined the party. Also, now, she's the overtired child in the room. Sure. And um, so they all fight their way outside. Scorpia keeps trying to explain that she doesn't want to fight them. 
Yeah, and she actually like backs herself like up to like almost the like a cliff, yeah. right? And it's yeah, like, yeah. I'm but, not trying to fight you. And then somehow Perfuma still manages to get behind her. <laughs> right, but is also like sees that that she's willing to like back herself to a cliff and is yeah, like yeah. I think she's telling the truth. And then bum 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 zonk. Scorpia accidentally <laughs> stings her. Ah, uh, gayest moment. Yes. Gayest moment is the stinging meat cute. This is a really good mute ki- meat cute between these two. I mean, I think their cute moment is still coming, but if you want to make this the gayest moment, I won't fight you. No, it's a meat cute. It's uh, it's not like, oh, it's their cutest moment. It's their, like, it's the meat cute. Like, it's the axe. Yeah, it's the axe, you know, yeah, like the, yeah, yeah, the, the yeah, romantic yeah. comedy, the yeah, meat cute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's the, the weird accident that brings the two people together. Yeah, like, you're right. Wait, don't hurt Zonk. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah. Yeah. you know, it's like, you just hit my car. Yeah. I didn't hit your car. You know, you're, you're right. You know, you are right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yes. So they have plenty of gay moments. This this episode actually has a lot of really gay moments. Yes, it does. It does. Um, for for like such an intense episode, it's really gay. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. And Scorpia is so sorry, and she grabs so sorry. her tail, and she crouches down on the ground. And Shira is still about to kick her ass, even though she is like crouched down on the ground. Yeah. Until and- Scorpia yells. I need your help to save Entrapta. Yes, and that finally makes everybody stop. I go, what? And then, oh, wow. And then we zoop back over to the Fright Zone. Oh, man. Oof. Rough. Back to Katra in her little surveillance room. Rough. Katra's worse. Yes, she's still just looking through... All the towns they've occupied. Yeah. And presumably just looking for Scorpia at this point. Presumably looking for Scorpia. Also, like, yes, presumably looking for Scorpia, but I feel like there's also a tiny thing, like, you know, going in her head where she's, like, you know, surveying all that she has, you know, laid to waste. Like, yes, there, yes, I she's, feel like the horde flags are flying over these abandoned looking landscapes. Right. Like, so there is this like, I, I've done something right. There's, I have done something that I right. have like accomplished something. There's a reason void. for this. She's trying to yeah. fill the void. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So there's, you know, there's the double issue. Yes. I agree with that. So, um, and then she hears a laugh at going down the hallway and it sort of sounds like Scorpia. And so, oh, and, and she's really excited. And then she jumps up from her chair she says, Scorpia, I knew you'd come. Oh. But there's nobody there. There's no Scorpia. And then Catra's doing, like, talking to herself at this point. She's like, oh, get it together. And, like, it's just like, whoa, dude, you are not, like, yeah. we've never we've never seen Catra get at this point where yeah. she's, like, talking to herself, like, trying to, like, pull herself together. Yeah, right. it is we've hard seen, to watch. We've seen her physically pull herself together before. Like, we've seen her, but, she, you know, it's all been very, like, kind of in a repressed physical way. She's slicked her hair back. She's brushed a tear away. But she's never actually, like, spoken. Like, she's never, like, verbalized it before. Yes. Um, Which yes. is also kind of showing, like, her own fracture 
Aang. Indeed. Yeah, my next note is she is so beyond burnout. Yeah, she's she's not doing great. So, of course, this is another perfect moment for our poor oh, buddies, yeah. the Palpals, to come back in. The from what is now Their third consecutive shift. And at this point, they're basically carrying Kyle, who yeah. seems unconscious and is drooling a little. Yeah, Kyle's Kyle's fucked up. Yeah. He's really messed up. And so Catra marches down there and literally hisses at some random soldiers as she passes them. Yep. Which like, damn. Yeah. Like she is done. So she just marches up to Lonnie and drags her into the surveillance room for some fun private chat. Oh, yeah. And Kyle immediately collapses somewhat comedically as soon as one side of his support is gone. This is a really fun private chat where Katra is incredibly paranoid and is, you know, uh, asking Lonnie what people are saying about her. Oh, yeah. Because this is really fun. And this is definitely the mark of one of your friends uh, slash boss that is totally sane and not, you know, completely losing their mind. Yeah, this is really scary for Lonnie. This Um, is really scary for us. (laughs) Yeah. But I feel like it's scarier for Lonnie. (laughs) Well, Um, yes. You know, Lonnie at first is just confused when Catra says, what are they saying about me? She's like, what? Who? It's like, don't pretend like you don't know. Are they laughing at me? Right. And Catra's dark circles under her eyes are much more pronounced now. Oh, they're bad. Yes. Yeah. And so Lonnie just looks at Catra for a long beat without saying anything. Like she's just trying to understand what's going on here. Uh huh. And uh-huh, then she answers yeah. her in a very sincere and non-confrontational tone of voice. I think mm-hmm, she says yeah. mostly people are just tired. I yeah. think if you let them sleep, everything will be fine. Yeah, like, I think this is a really good way to handle this. Yeah, I think Lonnie did the best she possibly could. She wasn't bitchy. She no. wasn't resentful or hostile or like, "What the fuck, man? You're in charge. Why can't you be a good boss?" Like it wasn't like that at all. Yeah, I agree. She she was like, look, man, we grew up together. I can see you're struggling right now. Like, it's going to be okay. Mm -hmm. Um, She did the best she possibly could. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, there was, but there was never going to be anything that would have helped. Right. Exactly. Um, Yeah. And. (sighs) And what does Catra do then? Catra says, you know, and this is actually when we hear Catra say everything isn't fine. Mm-hmm. And I don't think we've ever heard Catra say that. I think you're right. You know, Catra's always, everything is fine. Everything's fine. Everything's going according to plan. And even later in the episode, we hear her say that to Horde Prime. Yes, of course. But, but to Lonnie, even to, Lo- to Lonnie, Catra yeah. does, you know, you know, the, yeah. the, the, the facade. Yes, does the facade has fallen. Fracture. Yes, indeed. And, and then says, she also says Scorpio would be here if everything was fine. Yep. And, and then she has this moment where she's like out of breath. She's like uh-huh. panting. Right. And then and there's it's... this long beat of silence where Lonnie is just staring at Catra's back because Catra has turned her back to Lonnie now. And like Lonnie just doesn't know what to say. Yeah. Because I don't think Lon- Lonnie didn't. I don't think Lonnie knew. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. How and bad now, Catra's mental state was. Yeah, or that Scorpia wasn't there. Yeah. I yeah. mean, who knows? Probably not, but like, 
that's not like really something that she needs to know. It's not necessarily her department to be keeping tabs on all of the um, force captains. No, it's not. But it's also one of those things where like Lonnie knows Catra enough to know that like this, you know, this plus what Catra is going through would equal. Would be very upsetting would equal melty down Catra, right? Yeah. Like, and yeah. that's why Lonnie has the reaction that she does is the like, Oh, you're really fucked up. And here's a reason why you're really fucked up too. Yeah. Yeah. You're probably yeah. right about that. Um, so after that beat of silence, Catra turns around and just growls at Lonnie in this really vicious kind of primal way. Yeah. And Lonnie <laughs> looks appropriately scared and just takes yeah. a step back without saying yeah. anything. Yeah, Lonnie's just like, oh. And they just stay like that for another long beat. There's like a, uh-huh. a pretty long stretch of silence. Yeah, and and it's, Katra, it is really scary. And then Catra just laughs that unhinged, I am on the edge of a breakdown laugh. Oh, it's bad. And says to Lonnie, just leave like everybody else. Yep. And Lonnie yep. doesn't leave right away. Like she nope. stays for another beat looking at Catra She's like unsure if it's a good idea like, to should leave. I, should I leave you alone right now? Is this right? Are you going to be safe by yourself? Kind of, kind of feeling. Yeah. Like, should I actually leave? Yeah. And then Katra just yells, "Go!" And Lonnie goes. Lonnie goes. Yes. And she's like, "All right, I I have self preservation. I will go. I would also go. Yes, as would I. Yeah." So then we have, oh, this is heartbreaking. Yeah, it's rough. Oh. And Catra reaches out to Double Trouble. Tries to. Tries to. Tries to tries to hit them up. Double Trouble. Are you there? Mm-hmm. Answer me, you know, and just nothing. Obviously, and then no reply. No reply breaks the damn tracker pad mm-hmm. like and then throws it across the room and then throws it across the room like Catra is like Catra's a Catra fully is fully abandoned now yes like and that is the thing right that is the Catra yes. thing yes <laughs> everyone leaves Catra yes right no Adora no Shadow Weaver no Scorpia no Double Trouble yep you know, Catra's got no one. Catra doesn't need anyone, right? Catra has Catra. But Catra is definitely... But does Catra even have Catra? But uh, Catra, we are... Catra is figuring out rapidly that Catra does not even have Catra. Yeah, yeah. Things so, are not looking good for sweet baby Catra. Things are not looking good for sweet baby Catra. Unfortunately, now we have to leave her. We do. Because we got to go back to Bright Moon for a fantastic gayest moment. This is a wonderful gayest moment. Do you, do you want to, do you, yes. do you want to, yes, do you yes, want to? Yes, yes, okay, yes. okay, 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 because um, it's really good. I have like so many bullets for this one. Okay, so, good. So Scorpia is apologizing profusely to Perfuma for accidentally stinging her as uh-huh. Perfuma is tying her up with vines. Uh-huh. And Perfuma smiles, a cute little smile, and uh-huh. adds a huge flower on top of the vines uh-huh. as she walks away. And Scorpia just takes this in, in this way that's like, like nobody has ever been nice to her before, least of all someone who would see her in a girlfriendy way. 
I know. And she has no idea what to make of this. I know. And this Aww. is just the beginning for you, Scorpia. Oh, I love them. I love them so much. They have a wonderful, wonderful relationship. Yes, they sure They're, do. They are just so pure. They sure do. And I even really like eventually the relationship that Perfuma and Catra have as like my girlfriend and my ex. Oh my god. You know? I know, right? That's like <laughs> like Perfuma kind of helps Catra. I mean, at first she has, you know, angry feelings towards her. It's like, you know, you're my sure. girlfriend's shitty ex that like made her think that she had no value as a human being. I, you know, fuck you. But right. Perfuma can't stay in that kind of headspace for very long. So then like she pretty soon starts helping Catra see herself as worthy and worthy of love and you yeah. know, worthy of Adora's love. Uh-huh. Oh. So so gay. So fucking that, gay. There are so many things about this show that are really so fucking gay that are like only gay in the sense where if you've been really gay for a gay long gay time that you will recognize them as gay, not yes. just like, oh, it's her girls kissing, but it's like your ex-girlfriend is your therapist. Your ex-girlfriend's girlfriend is your therapist. Like, yes. that's that kind of gay. Yes, exactly. Exactly um, that. That like that kind of gay. Exactly that, my friend. Um, also, this I I'll also have two little points. I have a little bit of bondage fun here. Adorable as always. Sure. And I love that we know that Perfuma likes some burly. That's true. She loves a burly girl. That's true. She really does. And also, like, I'm also kind of thinking that Perfuma was kind of into her little knockout nap. Like, I think that might have been, right? Like, she's like, she, she digs a party kill. Literally. She was like, she was like, yo, that was good. I hold no ill will towards that. I didn't even that think was... about that. But now that you've said it, I'm on board. Right? She was like, that was fun. You know, like, I love these two. I agree that this is the gayest moment. I have this as the gayest moment of gay. Yes. Um, It's wonderful and gay. Hallelujah. Gay, gay, gay. Hallelujah. The gayest of gay. But then Glimmer interrupts. She's pissed off. She's going to interrogate somebody tonight. God damn it. Damn it. So she starts interrogating Scorpia as if Scorpia wasn't being fully cooperative before. Right. It's like um, she but, you know, showed up there. It's been a crazy night. So, but Scorpia is kind of distracted by the bizarre revelation of Shadow Weaver standing right there next to her in Bright Moon. Which, you know, wow. I just, and Shadow Weaver's at Bright Moon. And, you know, Scorpio puts it together for, you know, Catra is like, oh, wow, this totally makes sense why Catra's cuckoo bananas because, you know, Shadow Weaver left Catra. Yes. Adora left Catra. And now I left Catra. Oh, man, that's going to do a number on her. Yeah. How self-aware she is. She is incredibly self-aware. Because she is. She is emotionally aware. Yes. She has a high emotional intelligence. She does. For herself in many ways. I also do have a little mini gayest moment where we cut to Adora's face when Catra is mentioned. And she has this little beat of like, uh, and it's like, oh, damn, don't think about Catra. Tiny gayest moment. I I didn't have that as a gayest moment. I had that as a bullet where like Adora is clearly very uncomfortable hearing Scorpia talk about people abandoning Catra and about Shadow Weaver being in Bright Moon. So she quickly gets the interrogation back on track. She's like, well, these are my people and my things that you are honing in on. Fair. 
I, think I just think it's true. Yeah, I mean, I'm just it's like she's poking her in all of her soft spots. Yeah, yeah, yeah. agreed. But yeah. also gay. Yeah, also gay. Yeah. Um, and my other bullet for that moment is in all caps, sweet baby Scorpio, you just left your bad friend behind. It's time to start thinking about yourself now. I know. But I know that Aww. that advice takes a long time to sink in. It really does. It really does. It is a practice. It is not a thing you just snap your fingers and do. Absolutely. And that's what, you know, that's actually why, you know, Scorpia's here. Yes. It's that, you know, she's here. She sees that everybody there is really good at friendship. And Perfuma's really excited. Perfuma that loses it. She fucking loses it. Gay. Another gay moment. Extremely Boom. gay. She has stars all around her and in her eyes and she has like tears of joy in her And she's like <gasps> face. She's like, you're here to learn to be a good friend. Ah! And I'm like, oh my god, Perfuma. Keep it down. Yes, Just keep like, it in your pants, girl. Jeez, we get it. Okay. Yes. And then Scorpio has a fantastic line. Yeah. She says, yes, that's it. See, I thought I was being a good friend to Catra, but it turns out Catra wasn't being a good friend to me. And also, I have no idea what friendship is. Man, I think Entrapped is the only real friend I've ever had. Aww. And Emily beep boops in protest and then Scorpio quickly amends that Emily is also her friend because yeah. Emily's kind of just an extension of Entrapta yeah and, and Perfume is just crying tears of joy this whole time I know she's just like swoon because she's like oh big and burly and sensitive yes ah. and Marmist is just like ah. say <laughs> things that make sense Marmist is like ah this is too good I know Perfume yeah. and Marmist are standing next to each other is just mwah, perfect most of the I, time. I love this. I love that so much. Um, and so then Scorpia gives them the big revelation about Entrapta. Yep. Entrapta wanted to warn Hordak about the portal weirdness thing. So Catra sent her away to Beast Island. And Scorpia is very sad and ashamed that she let it happen. And now she mm -hmm. has to go save her. Yep. And this is when we know... We learned that Adora knows about Beast Island, but we don't just. But she didn't know that it was real. She thought it was she like didn't know a that fairy was real. Tale. And Shadow Weaver's like, "Oh yeah, it's real, and it's with real the bad." Beetles and the trees with razor sharp blades instead of leaves. Right. Yep. Yeah. Shadow Weaver <laughs> confirms that it is real, and it's even worse than those children's stories we told you. Right. So you wouldn't be scared. Yes. <laughs> it's I like don't think you tell kids stories like that so they won't be scared it's like the opposite it's like so they won't go in dangerous places and get hurt i mean it's the horde i mean but in general like the reason that you tell kids stories about the deep dark woods is to keep them from going into the deep dark woods and so they won't be eaten by bears and shit right not like yeah. the horde cares if kids are scared <laughs> well they do because they want to they want to train strong soldiers that's true so but that it doesn't quite make sense. Like, oh, we told you the stories about the blood beetles and the razor sharp leaves so you wouldn't be scared. Like, that doesn't quite track, but... Yeah, it doesn't, but whatever. Anyway. Um, so they immediately start jumping straight into rescue mode. So we have two separate reasons for rescuing Entrapta. Adora says we can't leave her there, and that's a moral reason. Absolutely. And Bo says Entrapta's their best bet to safely disable the weapon... 
And that's yes. a practical reason. Yeah. And then everyone immediately starts jumping in and saying they are on board for this rescue, except for Glimmer, who keeps trying to interject, but no one is listening to her. Right. It's like, at this point, I understand, because everyone's really excited. Be like, oh my god, yay, Entrapta, Entrapta, we have to go do this. And There's one great comedic moment in the midst of this when tied-up Scorpia chimes in and she's like, I'm in too. I mean, obviously, I brought this to you. But she's, yes, and she's still tied up. She's yeah. still tied up. But it's already like she is one of the team. Yep. And Glimmer's like, okay, and and just like makes everybody stop. And is like, yes. well, everyone just stop for a second. And Scorpio's like, you're not going anywhere. You're a prisoner. Yes. Which makes sense. Of course. Um, And she says, and you, referring to Bo and Adora, um, you need, we need to talk about this now. And right. then she bamps them over to um she bamps them into the fireplace uh, room the fireplace room which is her quarters i think it's unclear like this is the room where they had a lot of the more mysteries stuff yeah. take place i don't think it's, it's like her room it's 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 like the conversation it's like, it's like common, room it's a common room in it's the a palace. common room yeah um and so, so i consider this a scene break since it's a different location and mm-hmm. a different grouping of people yeah um, so this is another moment where I kind of wonder, even though I don't have any bullets about it, again, it's like, what is the power dynamic among the entire Princess Alliance? Because, again, like, if everyone in the Princess Alliance, except for one of them, wants to go do it, do they all need Glimmer's permission to go do it? Well, maybe it's like a like a parliament type of thing, where it's like, ostensibly, everybody can vote on things, and usually the queen is like, Sure, you all have, you know, sovereignty, but if the queen really doesn't want something, she can override it. I don't know. Yeah, it's just like, why Why were they all spending so much time voting on whether or not to use the Heart of Etheria if Glimmer's vote was always clear from the beginning? They all knew yeah. where Glimmer stood, but yeah, the rest of them I weren't sure. And so now it's like, okay, but if Glimmer doesn't want Entrapta to be rescued, then it doesn't matter what the other princesses decide. This is... Yeah. I, I, I just don't understand. Like, yeah, I she's in charge of Bo and Adora. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I think we're just going to have to leave it can, unknown and question marky. Yeah, because I think what we really need to focus on here is the interpersonal dynamics and not necessarily the political dynamics of the Princess Alliance, because this really is about like the personal dynamics of the the best friend squad. Right. Right. It's the most important part. Yes, yes, because we're about to go into the scene where the best friend squad kind of breaks up. Yeah. And it's rough. And it's really rough. Yeah, I just kind of wanted to just nod to that fact that, yeah. that, that, that that was unclear and that the other princesses up until up until like this point in the series, it has seemed that they all have the freedom to do what they want and they don't need Glimmer's permission, the other princesses, to do what they want. And now all of a sudden it's like if Glimmer doesn't want the other princesses to go do a thing that they can't and that's confusing and somewhat inconsistent. Well, maybe something changed when Glimmer ascended to the throne. Perhaps. I just wanted maybe, to maybe there was, that. Yeah, I, I'm yeah. fine with leaving it confusing as long as just we call it out and it, acknowledge that it's confusing. Sure. Ad- Confusion acknowledged. Yes, let's go into this horrible gut-wrenching scene now. Let's go into this horrible gut-wrenching scene, shall we? Let's do About- that. 
about our friends having a friend breakup. Yes. So we go into this horrible gut-wrenching scene where they all get bamfed into the conversational fireplace room. Um, and Adora does not understand why there has to be a conversation because they have to go get Entrapta. Yes. Which makes sense. And, and Glimmer's first line is basically stop trying to barrel ahead with your own plans. We have to talk about this. Like right. she just doesn't feel heard. Right. Which also makes sense. Yes. But, you know, Glimmer, you know, Bo is like, we have to go get trapped. Yes. You know? And, yes. you know. Bo and yeah. Adora think that it's it's an obvious conclusion that they have to rescue Entrapta, both mm-hmm. as a moral imperative and because they need her yes. to help them disarm this weapon. But Glimmer still has not agreed that disarming the weapon is a thing she wants to do. Absolutely. And she thinks that, you know, this is a harebrained scheme. Glimmer does have one valid point here, which is that they don't even know where Beast Island is. And no one, this has, is a... no one has ever come back from Beast Island. Yeah, this is a really good point. Like, and you just can't like run off there. Practical. Sure, running off to Beast Island, wherever it may be, in the middle of a war, however you yeah. might do it. It's not like, necessarily a good use of their limited resources right now. Right, because Glimmer doesn't even know how they would do it. Right, and neither does it, nor, nor does anyone else. Adora admits that she has no idea where it is or how they would go about finding it or rescuing Entrapta from it. But she says they have to try. Yeah, they have to try. Okay. Sure. And Glimmer just doesn't think that this is the time for that. And again, like a single rescue mission that isn't planned and has little chance of success is not her priority right now. I mean, from a tactician standpoint, yes. Yes, exactly. Duh. Yes. And Bo says you do want to save Entrapta, right? Right. And, you know, Glimmer does, but, and and says, we will save her. But, you know, she says, I won't, we need to stop the whore first. And then says, I won't risk the whole alliance for one princess who betrayed us. Right. And that's, that's a rough thing to hear. I understand what she's saying. I completely understand what she's saying. It is a rough thing to hear, and it's a rough thing for her to be in a position to have to be the one to make that call. Absolutely. But, I mean, you said from a tactician's point of view, like, she, somebody has to be the tactician. Yes, absolutely. And this, this is kind of a general's choice, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, exactly. If you're thinking as a raw tactician, this is, this is a logical choice. Yes, but Bo reframes it. He uh-huh. said that the biggest danger is the weapon, yeah. Um, so everyone is at risk unless they can get Entrapta to shut it down. Yeah. And Glimmer is like, <laughs> Glimmer is like. Glimmer does not kinda... agree that Entrapta is someone who could help with that. No. In fact, Entrapta just has a tendency of blowing shit up when she's near things. Yes. Has a habit of exploding everything she touches. Right. And Glimmer thinks that it's still safe to go talk to Light Hope. Yes. She still thinks that is the best option out of all of the not great options that they have in front of them. 
and also thinks that it's possible to get some of the power back. This is something that, like, she thinks that in order to, she can talk to Lighthope and get, quote, some of that stored power back. Right. Like, she still thinks that this is something, like, that one can negotiate with Lighthope, the, the, the corrupt AI that, you know, Glimmer is unaware of Lighthope's, like... Or, you know, it's not even necessarily that she wants to negotiate with Light Hope. It's like, okay, let's get her to tell us how it works and then we'll figure out from there right. how to get what we need. Like, we don't right. have to follow her plans. Right. Just make her give us all the information and then we'll figure out the best way to use it. Right, because Glimmer is under the impression that they can do that. Right. Like, they they are powerful enough to to do that right like she's never had any direct experience with light hope yeah right she thinks that they're they they are more powerful than light hope or whatever the first ones put together right 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 so and then they could use the they could defeat the horde and save entrapta like at the same time sure right right. and save everyone and save everyone because that's the information that glimmer has right if she trusted adora she would know that that's not right right um Whereas Adora just is like, no, I told you we can't trust her. She betrayed Mara. She lied to me. She's the bad guy. Like literally uses the phrase the bad guy. Right. And then Glimmer says the Horde are the bad guys. So, yes, Glimmer, there are multiple bad guys. The Horde is the bad guys. Light Hope's the bad guys. There's yes. many bad guys. Yes. So, yes. you know, you there need to recognize that, too. Yes, yes. There doesn't have to only be one bad guy. No, there's many bad guys. Um, but again, um, Glimmer is still really focused on the idea that they don't have to side with Light Hope. They can use Light Hope to their advantage. You know, you don't have to tell her everything. Just find out how it works and how to access it. And then we'll be in charge of that power and that magic. Right, because Glimmer is still under the impression that they can harness that power. Right. Um, and or siphon off some of it. Or siphon off some of it. Right. And Adora's like, no, we can't. The reward does not outweigh the risk. Yes, it's like, just too risky. I'm just I'm just gonna keep like going back to like nuclear power and nuclear energy and yes. it's just it's just really like ingrained in my brain right now for this. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, there's just there's just nothing that can outweigh the amount of risk. Yeah, yeah. Um and so at this point Glimmer runs to Bo, beseeching yeah. him to help her make Adora understand. Because Bo has always been the one that understands Glimmer's point of view and would take Glimmer's side and follow Glimmer's lead. And there is a really important visual shot here um, Hmm. of their hands. Glimmer has run to Bo and said, Bo, you know, you get what I'm saying. Make her understand. And so she's taken his hand in both of hers. And in this loaded pause after Glimmer says, tell her... He looks down at their hands, and so she's holding his hand in both of hers, and one of her thumbs brushes across the back of his hand in this very intimate gesture of love and trust in this silent moment before he finally looks up and says no. Mm-hmm. And he looks angry for maybe the first time. Like, he looks genuinely angry. He says, yeah. no, you weren't there. We need Entrapta. We need to disable the weapon. And this is actually another fracturing too. This is Bo's yes. facade of of 
of like always being happy fracturing. And always like keeping the three of them together. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And this is the three of them fracturing. Yes. And Glimmer yes. says, why can't you trust me in this? And right. Bo says angrily, because you're wrong. And he pulls his hand back. Yeah. And Glimmer just backs away from both of them. And she looks just completely gobsmacked. Yeah, because like any time that she sees, like we see this in Princess Prom too. Any time that Bo is not 100% next to, with, about, around, behind Glimmer, Glimmer kind of can't take it. Yes, and, and this, that, was, that was a much and, smaller scale than this. Yeah, and that was a much, those were much smaller stakes. That was yes. like, I thought we were going on a date, but we're not. Yes. This is huge. Yes. And also, I think this is the first time that Bo has ever told Glimmer no in no. a really firm and pointed way. Yeah. And like, said, you're wrong. Yes, Not exactly. only no, but you're you wrong. wrong. Yeah, like at Princess Prom, he told her no in a very kind of casually like oh i'm going with perfuma but like i don't think he even realized that she wanted them to go together he was like oh it's not a big deal like you know we're all kind of going together we're all gonna hang out but like this is like no yeah and like yeah. you just said and you are wrong yeah yeah and so you know she is beyond stunned she is beyond stunned and her like pull it together here is like Oh boy. Yeah. Her like pulling it is she goes into like Yeah, her fist eh. is shaking as she clenches she, it. She goes into the like angry cold. Yes. Which is like the most terrifying of angry. Yes. Or is like you think I'm wrong? Fine. But I am still queen. And as she says this, the POV flips. So we're looking at her standing in front of the fireplace, which is sort of this classic villainous framing. Yes. Yes. You know, an evil person standing in front of the fireplace doing evil exposition. Mm hmm. And mm -hmm. sometimes that can be done in a funny or ironic way. But this clearly is not meant to be funny or ironic. No. And in fact, the, it was done. It was done really well, like really, really solid bit of visual storytelling here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it wasn't it wasn't, you know, lamp shady at all. It wasn't right, like exactly. ironic or anything. It was just very much like. This is what it is. We're yes, doing it. Yes. And it's solid. Yes. So she's standing in front of the fireplace saying, I am still queen. And as queen, I am ordering you. No one is going to Beast Island. You're not to set foot outside the castle unless I say so. End of discussion. Yeah, she fucking pulled rank. Yep. I mean, like, it's kind of like, okay, so we're not friends? Fine. I'll just be right. your queen. I'll just be your queen. <laughs> it's fucking nuts. Yeah. You know, it's, and it's look, once again, like we have the parallel with Catra, right? Like, yeah, Glimmer and Catra both feel abandoned at this point. Yeah. Yeah. And as since we are a fully spoiled podcast, mm -hmm. we can say, you know, we all know they're going to go into season five being trapped, you know, on Horde Prime ship together in a very similar emotional place where they both feel like they've been abandoned. They have nothing left. Yep. Yeah. And it's a good sort of point for them to be a little more open to talking to each other than they would have otherwise been. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so 
I'm sure you remember meth, but I also want to remind the audience, um, remember the concept of the shadow in Jungian psychology that we discussed way back in season one? I do remember the concept of the shadow that from Jungian psychology that we discussed all the way back in season one. Yes. And the idea, you know, the really simplified version of that is when you point a finger at someone, there's three fingers pointing back at you. I do remember that. Yes. Meaning that like, you know, the thing that most upsets you in the people around you is, you know, something that you haven't reconciled in yourself. So I think in a somewhat oversimplified way in this situation, both sides feel that they're not being heard. Both sides feel that they're not being given the respect and trust that they have earned through their years of friendship. As in, yeah. like, why can't you just trust me? Well, why can't you just trust me? Like, both sides can equally say that to each other. Fair. So if the question is, haven't I earned your trust? Then both sides should be able to say yes. You yes. have earned my trust. I have earned your trust. That doesn't change the fact that they have two mutually exclusive ideas for how to move forward, but their overall goals are still in alignment. They want to save everybody. You know, no one has changed sides. Mm -hmm. um, unfortunately, in this moment at the height of war, they can't afford the luxury of taking time for group therapy, even though that is what they deserve. Sure. You know. Or at least a mediator. Or at the very least. A timeout. Sure. You know, it's like, hey, man, we're all friends. We care about each other. Let's take the time to work this out. They, they don't have the luxury of that time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, nobody here has bad intentions. Nobody's wishing anyone harm. It's just that the stakes are extremely high and everyone feels that they urgently have to do what they have to do to save the world in right. this moment. Sure. Yeah. And it's really, really rough. Yeah. You know. Those yeah, are my, I got those it. Those are my thoughts. There's, you know, there's no bad guys in this moment. None's bad guys. I agree. I agree. This is oh. a complicated show with, you know, with complicated, complicated characters. characters living complicated lives, living complicated lives, rich, emotional, interior lives, rich, emotional, interior and lives, rich relationships. Agreed. Let's move on. It is night in Bright Moon and Frosta is leading a tied up Scorpia to her prison cell, uh -huh. a.k.a. the last available spare room. They have a lot of spare rooms. I mean, it's a castle. I guess they would have yeah, a lot yeah. of spare rooms. But so, you know, their most austere guest room is being occupied by Double Trouble. So they only have this really nice guest room left, complete with a trio of songbirds. And Scorpia <laughs> is just completely floored, similar to how Adora was when she first arrived in Bright Moon. I mean, sure, I would too. Of course, of course. And again, like if you've just arrived from your wicked spot in life, into this like beautiful palace it's totally yeah. natural right and like remember that scorpia is a fucking princess in in the fucking horde and she still has like barracks yeah i mean that title didn't mean anything in her well, life also i mean now. i mean yes and also a force captain though like she does yes. she has a rank and still lives in barracks the only difference is she has a, her own bedroom right yeah, like yeah yeah being a force captain means some things but it certainly doesn't mean luxury it means you know you get a private room <laughs> And you get to order people around, but it doesn't mean and you get, you get nice to order things. <laughs> I thought you were going to say, and you get to order pizza. I was like, ooh, I want to order pizza. No, no, no. No pizza in the horde. No pizza in the Just horde, no. gray and brown processed food bricks. Yes. As Scorpio will bring up in the not distant future. Not, not distant future. So Scorpio is super psyched. She gets to stay in the sweet room. Frosta is enjoying doing her tough guy voice. <laughs> 
Explains I love it. That this is the only spare room they had left, but don't go thinking it's a sleepover. It's not a sleepover. Yeah. yeah. We're still guarding you. Even though Perfuma brought snacks. Yes. Enter Perfuma. <sighs> Jenny. Who is in the best mood and she's singing about it. Jenny. And Emily's here too. Jenny. Yes, Meth. Jenny, she's so gay for Scorpia. Yes, Perfuma is not at all embarrassed about laying it on thick. And why should she so, be? So, so gay for Scorpia. She even brought her salad. She brought her salad! Her highest offering. It really is! She she really has a type. I just, I love it. Of course. Aww. And Scorpia, meanwhile, has never even seen a vegetable. She references, you know... This is not gray or brick-shaped. Is this food? Yep, yep. And she also doesn't understand why Perfuma is being nice to her. And I have, in all caps, sweet baby Scorpio, you have no idea the queer joy that's in store for you. I know. So Perfuma runs off giggling to get pillows. Aww. Undermining Frost's efforts to be a tough guy. I know. Are you a salad person? I am a salad person, but I also think it depends on the quality of the raw ingredients. Yes. Obviously. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, like you can get a really sad, shitty salad mm-hmm. if the yeah. lettuce is old and turning brown mm-hmm. versus like a really fresh, locally grown, in-season type of salad. Yeah. If it's also like some, you know, everyone has their favorite ingredients and things, you know, that they don't like as much. So you have to pick and choose your add-ins. Yes, yeah. I am yeah. a salad person. I'm like, I go back and forth. Like a lot of the times, like raw veggies, especially greens, like hurt my belly. I've heard um, people say that. I have not experienced that. Um, So sometimes it's hard for me to eat like, like salads, like lettuce and stuff, mm. Israeli salad or tabbouleh or any kind of like salad that doesn't have lettuce. That's fair. I'm actually way more about. I so think go, it's lettuce. You said that greens sometimes hurt your yeah. stomach. Yeah, like a cucumber-based salad yeah, or yeah. a tomato-based salad. I really Those are great. Like a raw kale salad, but it has to be prepared correctly. People, you have to massage the kale. Yes, you have to massage the fucking kale and debone it. Yes, I mean, it's not absolutely. Really a bone. It's you know that central. Yeah, thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. People who. Restaurants, especially if you if you make kale and you don't know how to make kale, it's like just don't make kale if you just don't, don't make know kale. what you're doing. Just don't make kale. Perfume, I agree. I am quite sure makes delicious kale things. Agreed, agreed. And I love kale. Yes. So. Which is why <laughs> this um, funny scene, and of course this is for the kids. This funny scene of Scorpia staring into this salad bowl for a long time and then cautiously uh-huh. trying a bite and severely disliking it. Like, I know it's for comic relief, but I went through this whole thought process of like, well, Perfuma wouldn't give anyone, let alone her crush, a shitty salad. Exactly. Well, it, that's why I was thinking about that. And yeah. like, I was so, like, mm, you know, okay. this would have been like Perfuma's salad would have been like a fucking forest goddess bowl. Yeah, with goddess dressing. Yeah, and if, you know, exactly. And so, like, if you've spent your whole life eating these, like, processed food bricks and nothing else, and now you have your first bite of, like, crunchy, fresh food, I think it would have been good. But it would not have been funny. It would have been different. It might not be good. Because remember, lettuce is kind of, like, bitter. Like, some people don't like the bitter. It is. That's true. There are a lot of kinds of lettuce. There, uh, Yes, there are. I know. I grew a couple this season, anyway, too. That's exciting. Anyway, I just really about lettuce for too long now. <laughs> I just really want to talk about salad. I just saw yeah, this part and yeah. I was like, I want to talk about salad. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I would have enjoyed Perfuma's salad. 
Oh, definitely. Yeah, that was also the thing I thought. I was like, you know what? Jenny really would have enjoyed this salad. <laughs> you know me, my friend. I do. Well, also, you're just kind of a perfuma. Like, I that's am. just, you're absolutely a perfuma. I am a perfuma. So. so we have another really great comedy moment about to happen. This is really great, yes. After the salad, you know, rejection, which is mm-hmm. funny, but not, like, hysterical, mm-hmm. um, Frosta stares at Scorpia with the greatest tough guy stare an 11-year-old can muster. So good. And Scorpia's like totally confused and she's like, what? What? I love this delivery. (laughs) It's so good. I can't even do it. And then Frosta just completely explodes in excitement as she asks Scorpia, how strong are your pincers? And you know, she's been thinking about this all day. All day. Uh, and I love when we get conversations from Scor- like when Scorpia describes the pincing. Like this yes. isn't the first time. Can you and, and Scorpia yes. and Frost is like, can you cut or crush? And she's like, oh, you know, for pincing. Yes, <laughs> general, general pincing, general crushing, pincing, good for yeah. everything. So Frosta gets so excited, she decides she has to try this, and she makes a pair of ice pincers of her very own. She's super into it. And then Scorpia starts crying. I know. And Frosta immediately apologizes because she thinks she's stealing Scorpia's thing. Aww. And Scorpia says, no, that's not it. The Horde always told me I was different, that I wouldn't fit in with you all. But you're making me feel the opposite of not belonging, which I guess is belonging. She's like, a really oh, great good job. line. It is. It is. Which is and kind also, of similar to what I've always said about why I love my synagogue in Brooklyn, which I have now left and I'm very sad about. Um, I've left Brooklyn. I didn't just leave my synagogue, obviously. You just want um, peace. Yeah, um, because, you know, it's an independent synagogue. We have people of all different Jewish backgrounds or not from a Jewish background at all. Anyone who wants to join can join. So, you know, when you're all different together, there's no majority. And when no one is in majority, then no one can be marginalized. Right. And it's like a really that. great way to live. Yeah, I like that. Aww. And so then what does Frosta say? And Frosta says, I used to feel that way too. And then I met Glimmer in the others. And I realized none of us fit in. We're all different, but that's okay. Exactly. And like Frosta, I love that Frosta brings back in the like, First of all, Glimmer is Frosta's idol. Yes. Remember that. Yes. Like, like Glimmer, like Frosta's like, you're my big sister. You're my idol. I think you're the coolest person on the planet. You kick all of the ass and mm-hmm. you make me feel like everything is okay. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and that's why she brings up Glimmer and the others. Not Adora. Right. Not, you know, but Glimmer and the others. Yeah. And I love that. Her hero. Always been her hero. Yeah. Yep. And Scorpius says that might be the nicest thing anyone's ever said to me. <laughs> and Frosta is like, bruh, bruh, like a little eleven-year-old gets tough again, yeah, and it's really cute that she was supposed to be a tough guy. He's like, well, don't get used to it. <laughs> yeah. You know. Right. Uh, and they get soft again. Yeah. It's really like, cute. Oh, but I've got first watch, so I'll be up. If you yeah. want to talk more. <laughs> it's really cute. It is a very cute scene. And then we go to a not cute scene. 
go to another really tough, uh, but luckily very short scene. Very short. We this will get is, through it. It's very short. Uh, this is probably one of the most heartbreaking scenes for me personally in the entire show. Yeah, I think it's um, meant to be. Yeah. Do you want to just take us through it? I'll take you through some of it. Yeah, sure. So we have Katra is uh, back in the screen room of, com- of you know, communication uh, chatting with Hordak now um, and looks like shit. There is no way to describe this. She looks like shit. She looks like she hasn't slept in days and days and days. Yeah. You know, eye creases, the bags and dark circles, just like the like face that's about to crack, about to fracture the like (laughs) (laughs) smile. Like, yeah, yeah. Fake smile looks like trash. Yeah. And, you know, but still has to talk to her boss. Yeah. So. Hordak asks for a status update. And, you know, of course, Catra has been staring at screens for the past three days, not sleeping, uh, possibly more, and has said, you know, you know, Hordak has taken all the coastal towns. What's the status in the woods? Catra says, and this this part is so indicative, like, our raiding parties have crushed the, uh, have crushed the villages near the current outpost. Tomorrow, tomorrow we move further farther inland. Everything is under control. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> Sweet baby Catra. Vicious web of lies here. Sure. Yes. Okay. Everything is... The, the horde is kicking all of the ass. Congratulations. Yes. You're wonderful. Yay, you got your shit. But you look like hell. Yeah. This is like the ultimate. I'm fine. I'm fine. Everything is fine. But Jesus fucking Christ. So they sign up. Obviously does not pick up on the fact that anything is wrong with Catra because that is not a thing that he does pick up on other people's emotions. That's not a thing that he does. And also Catra is like total, like literally masking. She has her mask on. She's doing her job. She's at work. Her She's not going to let her boss see her, especially because this is a person that has abused her in the past that she has to prove herself to be strong for that. She is literally like, you know, second in command. He will probably kill her if he shows any, she shows any weakness as we have seen in the past. And we'll see again in the future. So of course she's in control. Everything is under control. Everything is fine. It's great. We are moving further inland. Everything's great. Ethereal will be ours. And then Hordak signs off mm-hmm. and Katra collapses. Well, before she collapses, the shot well, zooms out and it we zooms see out. that she has smashed all the screens except for that one that Hordak was talking on and she's totally yeah. trashed this whole room. She's Yeah, so she's this whole entire room is thrashed. Thank you for bringing that really important part up. The entire room is completely thrashed. Like she has lived in this room yes. and completely broken and completely broken everything except for the one place that she needs to be to communicate with her boss, right? Yes, I also have a bullet um, that says the music is also wicked foreboding. It's wicked foreboding. Uh, and then we get to like, you know, my main focus in this in this scene has been on Catra. So thank you for like yes. kind of bringing that yes, part of up. Course. Um, and then we get like one of the most literal things ever. Yes. She takes her mask off. Yes. And not just takes it off. And then, so in the first, I believe it's the first episode of the, the season, we see her without her mask. 
Um, she has the dream. She takes, she, we see her without her mask, but she brushes her hair back. And there are a couple of different times in this season where we see her take her mask off and exhale, but she composes herself. Right. She, and she physically, once again, she physically is able to compose herself. She pushes her hair back. Right. And also Catra's hair, as we've seen throughout the se- this series, is um, another indicator of her, of her mental health. Yes. And specifically um, of her emotional control. Her, her, yes, specifically of her emotional control. Um, her hair is wild. And yes, yes. And you so know. in this scene, it's not even that like she takes her mask off. We just it see drops. it fall on the floor. Yeah, it drops. She, you, we see her, we see her remove it, and then it drops. It's not a gentle like she takes her mask off and exhales. She takes it off. It drops. Right. It's not like she puts it down. No. On the table or next to her or something. It clangs next to her. Um, and she crumbles. Yes. She absolutely crumbles. And this is a huge moment for her because, you know, this is another tier of her getting everything she wants. I mean, in terms of like the everything she wants, right? Everything she's worked for. It's another type right, of those things. Right, it's in right. everything she's worked for. Her career is going well. Um, you know, Etheria is hers, right? They are winning. They are going to win in the end. You know, but it doesn't feel how she thought she would feel. Right. And but her inner life is falling apart. She is falling apart. Yeah. She, um, and the way that shot is framed is so ugh, intimate. It's like fucking you know, she's brutal. curled up on the floor on her knees. And it's like we are the floor and her tears yeah. are falling on us. Yeah, and, and and it's like close up on her face, yes. and and it's not that it's not crying of somebody being sad. It's the it's unhinged crying. It's unhinged, and her hand, her head is in her hand, um, and it's like she's like pulling her hair at her temples almost, like she's like trying to hold her head together. Yeah, and she is like sobbing unhinged, like her entire. Body is trying to escape from yeah. itself yeah. because it's falling apart. Her, she is falling apart. She's literally holding her psyche together with her hands. This yes. is like, yes, it's very well put. It is fucking brutal. And like, I, <laughs> I can relate to this, you know, like yeah, this I sort of desperate. Had yeah. these moments. This sort of desperate, like, I've been trying so hard to keep it together kind of sobbing. Yeah, it's not like the gentle tears in the moonlight. Yeah, or like the I am mourning something, or like yeah, the yeah, yeah. I am very upset or I am frustrated. It's the I am falling apart. Yeah. So, and then we go to Bright Moon. Yes, back Unless to Unless Jenny has something moon. else to say. Bright moon, night, exterior. Bo and Adora are sneaking out of the castle through a window. Ah, like they are wants to do. Yes. I love the sneaking out through the window. Yeah, I love how they call out, back to that. Yeah, like this is something that the three of them used to do all the time when Angela yeah. was the queen. Yeah. Um, the three of them snuck out all the time against her queenly orders. Because uh-huh. they have always done what they thought was right, not what they were ordered to do. Yeah, and now it's the two of them doing it against the queen. Yes, and so Bo, of course, is not feeling great about lying to Glimmer. He says he's never lied to Glimmer before. 
but it's not technically lying because he left a note. Actually, he left three notes. But yeah, it's not even like it's it. not even like a lying by omission. Like he left a note. He, he just left like three notes. Like you know, he yeah, does he not just want to be going behind her back. But again, like they're always going to do what they think is right, no matter what the rules are. Right. You know, they are guided by their sense of moral imperative, and so is mm-hmm. Glimmer. And that yep. is still true, has always been true. Mm-hmm. Um, Adora is more firm in her conviction that they're doing the right thing. Um, she basically says she'd rather Glimmer be mad than dead. Yep. Right? Yeah, she'd rather ask for forgiveness than permission. Yeah, I mean, but that's not how she frames it. She's like, let Glimmer be mad at us. I'd rather she be mad at us and still be alive Yeah. than be yeah. dead. I mean, it's a more like... It's a more like you could imply high stakes. It's a high stakes version of that, yes, right? You could imply like, the, you know, the more conventional rather ask for forgiveness and permission. But like her framing is like, I can accept that she might be mad at me forever, but at least she'll be alive. Like I right, have to yeah. save her, even if she ends up being That's mad true. at me and yeah. doesn't forgive me. Right. Yeah. And I can understand <laughs> that. And um, Bo's like, we should leave another note because that's going to help. Right. Because well, that'll help his sense of guilt. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> so they make it down to the ground where Swiftman meets them, shouting at the top of his lungs that he's ready to join them on their stealth mission. Oh, he's really good at keeping secrets. He's great at stealth and secrets. He's very good at it. Yes, and this wakes up Frosta, of course, who was on watch. Yep, and Bo is like, it's a dream. Yes, and that's You're a great time for Swiftie to pipe in. The flying unicorn dream. Classic. Yes. Um, but also believes it's bullshit and also knows what they're doing. Yes, she is down to cover for them. Yeah, because um, she... Yeah. And her reasoning is different from what anyone else has said so far. Yeah. Um, she says that, you know, she joined the Princess Alliance because she wants to save people. Mm-hmm. And the Horde are still people, despite yeah. everything they've done. So she yeah. is sort of ba- basically like down to save the whole planet, including the Horde. And yeah. she glances at a drooling sleeping Scorpia as she says this. Yeah, and I liked that. And also, like, I like that this is where Frosta, Frosta, like we said before, idolizes Glimmer, but will go against Glimmer because Frosta's had this revelation after hanging out with Scorpia. Yeah, yeah. Um, agreed. Because, you know, we have seen, like, throughout the show, the good guys don't kill. No. You know, like, they beat people up, but they only capture them, and they, they go out of their way to save them. Like, Glimmer keeps bamfing out and grabbing the Horde soldiers that Shira chucks over her shoulder to make sure they don't fly off the cliff and die. Right, right. You know, it's like, we capture, we don't kill. And so... The implication is if they were to use the heart of Etheria energy, they would end up killing their enemies rather than just beating them. Right. And that's not where Frosta wants to be. She doesn't want to cross that line. No. No. So that's very admirable and also very Avatar-like. That is very Avatar-like. It's true. So we are down for that. We support you, Frosta. So off they go on Swifty Mm -hmm. to Mara's ship. Spaceship, spaceship. Johnny, there's a spaceship. There's, there's a spaceship. spaceship. There's a spaceship. There's a spaceship. There's a spaceship. Spaceship. I just got really excited that there's a spaceship. This space. Also, damn, Bo can fix a spaceship. Everybody, I think Meth likes spaceships. 
I just like the idea that they have a spaceship on the show now. So up until this point, we've had like sci-fi kind of stuff, but we really haven't had our heroes fly a fucking spaceship. Yes, and also like they have their magical rainbow unicorn on their sci-fi spaceship. On their their spaceship. This is like possibly a heretofore unheard of level of genre mixing, and I'm here for it. Yeah, I dig this like, genre mixing. Ancient, their ancient spaceship, right? Their ancient spaceship. <laughs> they put their fucking rainbow flying unicorn on their ancient spaceship. Also, Bo can fix a spaceship, and I feel like no one is giving this dude credit for that. Yeah, no, we are giving him credit. We are. He can fix a fucking spaceship. He can at least turn it into an airplane. I mean, they go to space in this spaceship. Yes, but they don't go to space until they find Entrapta. That's true. That's true. But they, he at least turns it into a fucking airplane. Yes. Yes. Tech master extraordinaire. Incredible. Absolutely incredible. Like, Nothing, he's like, I don't, yeah. he doesn't even read first ones. He's just like, I'm just going to go and beep boop these things because I understand basic mechanics. We would not be winning in the end without Bo. No, we would not. No question about that. Dude, Tech Master Bo, he should absolutely get more than just... Master Archer, Tech Master, fucking group psychologist. Yeah. Bo deserves way more due. Heart of Bright Moon. Heart of Bright Moon. Damn good loot player, as we learn. Yeah. Much later. <laughs> many he has many skills and many layers. He is a renaissance man. He sure is. He's a renaissance man. Amen. Amen. Amen, so, yeah, my dude. We have a spaceship that So fits. I love the first few beats yeah. on this ship because they are all so purposeful. When they get on, it seems like they know what they're doing and they have <laughs> yes. this serious mission music building in the mm. background. Yeah. And they yeah. all like get into position and they're super serious. And then it's this great comic break as they all kind of look at each other and Adora's sitting in the captain's chair and she's like, should I be doing anything? Or <laughs> like, yeah, they all realize I, that they actually have no idea how to make it go. They they have no idea how to how to make it go. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. And and they're like, I don't know how to do it. And, and Swifty's like, well, I know how to fly. Just flap its wings. Yeah, there's going to be a flapping wings button somewhere. And he just starts... I- he just brings the mashing. swifty chaos yeah. that he brings to all the things and they're all like no swifty no and of course he hits the one button with his muzzle that both turns on the power and makes the ship take off straight up into the air yep and then there's a whole wacky series of directions including yes. loop-de-loops yes and we get another great line from swifty when he yells loop-de-loops how could you betray me and then we have all sorts of manners of like almost death, going yes. straight up, going straight down. Fun chaos. Fun chaos. And until... actually this, and of course, you know, spoiler alert, they don't die. They eventually figure it out. What? Um, but so this little scene of them trying to figure out the spaceship reminds me a bit of the little 1986 Disney gem Flight of the Navigator. Did you ever see yeah. that? I, I have not seen Flight of the Navigator, but I am familiar with it, okay. um, as uh, many of the people I know have yes. seen it. It's so, a yes. very fun live action Disney movie from the 80s. 
Um, and so it's a sentient spaceship and it's more rounded than this one. But other than that, it's very similar in design. And when it goes into like super fast mode, it's all pointy like the ship. Mm -hmm. And so when the kid first gets into it, um, he goes through a similar like, whoa, we're going straight up. Whoa, we're going straight down. Oh, I think I'm going to die. Oh, I'm not going to die. And when he just yells, stop, when they're like six inches above the ground and all of a sudden it's like, oh, why didn't you just say so? I can stop. And it's like, boom, mm -hmm. we're stopped. And then it's, it's like super smooth sailing after that initial chaos. It's probably a direct, direct ref reference then. Yeah, like I mean, it, it might not be um, because I know that Nate Stevenson was not alive <laughs> to see that movie in the mid 80s sure child. but like sure but like i mean people watch old movies like yeah. especially like disney movies and stuff like they yeah, play yeah. they replay I mean, that stuff all famous, the time but, though you know, it, it might yeah. be a coincidence but it does remind me of it quite a bit yeah um and it's um, you know it's a great little comic relief in a, in a very serious and heavy episode mm -hmm. yeah anyway after Bo loses his lunch which is totally justified uh, they yeah. managed to set the ship to autopilot and they jet off to beast island and everything is fine yeah, yeah they set uh, the autopilot to hazardous material disposal site yes so it's oh okay designation beast island okay so that we never heard of it's a hazardous material disposal site huh what's that that's an interesting new 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 thing for us we had no idea that that was a thing let's keep that in our minds as we truck on back to bright moon to double to double troubles holding room oof another prison cell that is not a prison cell because double trouble's been camped out on this very comfortable looking love seat chaise poof thing yeah this one's a little more this one's a little less well lit than scorpions yes yes, <laughs> yes but it's it's not a prison room it's not a prison room and then we have glimmer just like if Glimmer could kick down the door, she would have kicked down the door. Like, this is the kind of energy she brings yeah, into she this. she just walks in stoned face. Yeah. And Zero just like... bullshit left. Yeah, and just like conjures like with like pure fury and just throws a truth sigil at, yeah. at them. And like, Double it's Trouble nuts. tries to goad her again, but like Glimmer doesn't even blink. It has no effect on her. The None. Going. None. And it's just like, tell me everything. Fucking Dark Willow is shit right here. Yes, and Double Trouble admits that they can't cry on cue unless they imagine <laughs> children falling. They're tears uh, of laughter, but no one can tell the difference. I I also have this as I actually have this as a gayest moment. Sure. Um because I have absolutely met like really queenie like queers who are shady about kids. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like, so, you know. Yes, yes. Not every queer is shady about kids, but Oh, of course not. There are queer people it's that do exist it's that are shady about kids, and this is absolutely a thing. And it's usually catty queens. It's catty queens. Not a stereotype. Yeah. I have but, also known other kinds of queers who don't like kids. So Double Trouble is shocked that this truce yep. worked. Yeah. Glimmer's like, now tell me everything about the Horde's plans. <laughs> of course, Double, Double Trouble calmly like, sits down, crosses their uh -huh, legs, and tells just her everything. And it's just like, oh, okay, girl, let's kiki, right? And it's yes, like, yes, you know, like that's what you want. And then just lays it all out mm -hmm. and just says, you know, Catcher and Hordak are worked up because Horde Prime is on his way with his armada. 
to conquer all of Etheria. And it's going to uh, happen any day now. And it's going to happen any day. And then you're all fucked because yep. if you think you're losing to Hordak, you are totally screwed with Horde Prime. Yes. And this yes. is all news to Glimmer. And yes. she's like, holy shit, which is bad. Yes. And she poofs straight out. And despite uh -huh. the argument that they just had, she poofs straight to where she thinks Bo and Adora are. And they aren't there. They are gone. Um, but she does see the spaceship flying. Yeah, and of course, it's perfect timing at that exact moment. She runs outside and sees Mara's spaceship fly past at that exact moment. And like, okay, I know that she's fucking pissed right now. But also, I would be like, oh my god, it's a spaceship! That's yeah. just me. Yeah, I mean, you love spaceships. I just think it's wild. I also, I, I I don't, also I'm love like, spaceships. I don't even love wild. spaceships like that. But like in Etheria, if I was in Etheria and all of a sudden a fucking spaceship showed up, I would be like, what the fuck? Yeah, it's a spaceship? An entirely unique situation. Yeah. That's why I was like, spaceship, oh my God, spaceship, tape shops. Yeah, yeah like, it's wild. Yeah. I lost the ability to speak because of a spaceship it's on Etheria. wild. Yes. I can't wait till we get to some of Entrapta's lines about space that are coming up soon. Oh my God. Yes. Those are some of my favorite lines in the entire series. Same. Um, Same. And so relatable. Yes. So, so Shadow Weaver is also conveniently chilling outside in her nighttime garden, perhaps. Sure. And she just walks you know. up behind Glimmer and yep. she takes all this in and says, you can still stop them. Uh -huh. And also our buddy the dramatic wind is back for this scene. I love the dramatic wind. Love what a some friend. dramatic wind in these bright moon outdoor overlook scenes. Yep. And then we have the final, like the final break. Yes. Let them go. If they don't trust me, I don't trust them. Yes. Like, Horde Prime is coming. We need to be ready for him. I'm going to figure out how to access the magic at the heart of Etheria and how to use it. And I'll do it alone if I have to. Yes. And, and the so, dramatic music continues to build uh -huh. as she's saying this. And it continues through the final few scenes that are s silent. Yep. Now their goals are at odds. Like yes. now Glimmer's literally like, I don't trust them. And they have totally separate goals. Yes. Yes. Um, and so the last few moments are with this dramatic music building underneath it glimmer says what she just said and then we flash back over to mara's ship and Bo and adora share a look a very serious look like okay buckle up my dude we're really gonna do this mm -hmm. yep and then we go back to glimmer still with the same music building and it comes to crescendo just as glimmer approaches her destination which is light hope's house Yep. i.e. the first one's ruins that we just saw in the last episode yep and then we slammed the credits fuck that's this is some bad. rough shit fuck that is that yeah. is how we ended the warranted. episode and then i just yelled oh my god oh my god next episode is beast island beast island we're gonna meet Jeez. queen dad queen dad Aw, I love Queen Dad. And also confront the swamps of sadness. Oh my God, Queen Dad and the Island yes. of Depression. Yes. Which wasn't, which was the original name. It wasn't the original name. I just made that part yeah. up. But thematically, it's dramatically. It really yes, is. But yes. Jenny, I have a really important question for you. Yes, Meth. What did you learn today? Oh my dude, my dude. 
what did I learn today? I learned that I need some party kale right now. Fuck yeah. That's number one. I learned that even people who really, really love each other can have really brutal fights and feel really betrayed by each other when Mm -hmm. they're at odds. And that, you know, sometimes it doesn't take much to get to that point. Yeah. And if you feel really betrayed by someone you love, the odds are that they feel the same way you feel. Yeah. And I'm not saying I have a solution, but sometimes, you know, if you don't need to rush into action, which hopefully you don't because we are not at war with each other in a literal sense, a mediator, a third party, a therapist might really be able to help in a situation like that to help you see each other's point of view. I like this. I like how so many of your like, what did we learn today moments are about like coming together. And emotional lessons. <laughs> the emotional lessons, but all yeah. of the emotional lessons are like, listen to your friends and if you need to get therapy. <laughs> <laughs> like, I try, man. I try. No, I love I'm it. Not, I'm not saying that these are lessons that I have figured out perfectly either. You know, we're all No, learning. sure. We're all, we're all getting there. these lessons in iterations. Like you sure. learn it on a level and you work it and you work it and then maybe you learn it on a deeper level and the next time around, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I learned Catherine Hepburn in a suit. Well, folks, if you liked what you've heard and you want to fix a spaceship with us, you can like and follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast fix. You can also like us on X, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook at HeyAdoraCast, or you can email us your truth spell tips and tricks at HeyAdoraCast at gmail.com. And I heard that we have a Patreon, and I heard we do cool stuff like live watches, yeah, we do. And uh, our Discord. Discord's a pretty fun place to chat with your fellow Handora nerds about all your fun theories, support each other and your projects, all kinds of fun stuff you can do in our private Handora Discord Funland. It's very rad. And there's so many, many much more things that you can do and get with our Patreon. So you can find the link to our Patreon, as well as a link to this week's Spotify playlist, Fractures, in our show notes or at heyadora.gay. As always, you can find all of our things at heyadora.gay until the end of time. Gaily, you will find those gay things at heyadora.gay. And remember, queer joy is radical. And queer love saves the universe. Ow! Woo. Spaceship! Catherine Hepburn in a suit. Yes. <laughs> <laughs>